Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this edition of For Your Game. Well, it's our big national championship. The 122nd U.S. Open is underway today at iconic and historic The Country Club of Brookline. And it's my pleasure, as always, to have one of my favorites, one of my mentors, nationally renowned sports radio and cable sports talk host. I just get so excited when I get a chance to introduce her. She has uh, got a long time golf show on WFAN in New York and uh, couldn't think of a better person to talk to in another iconic sports town but Anne Ligori. Hello, my friend. Holly, good to be on with you as always. And it's good to be here at uh, the Country Club in Brookline. So rich in history. It's just, I mean, you just feel special when you walk here and, and see all the beautiful buildings and, and, you know, one of the five founding member clubs of the United States Golf Association dating back to the late 1800s. And it, it's just special. I was so happy I had the chance to come up here. Uh, a couple months ago and playing in the media day, it um, wasn't obviously quite like it is now. It wasn't grown out. It, very little was in bloom. And it was kind of like a, a gray, rainy, cold day. But still, hey, we had a chance to come up here and play the course. And uh, I hadn't been up here uh, since the Ryder Cup back in 99. So it was great to have a, you know, get a feel for playing it. And then get into the clubhouse again, and just, uh, it's such a historic clubhouse. It's just a special place, as you know. Yeah, it sure is. I had the chance to walk the entire golf course yesterday, and just old school, and it's on a very tight piece of property. Uh, you've got that knee-high fescue everywhere, the rock outcroppings uh, that they call pudding rock, I believe, uh, and it's it's just a just a spectacular course visually, and as we're going to see, uh, the guys are going to require a lot of patience to get their way around this golf course to keep their scores under par. That's right. Those rocks are all very very natural. Back in the day when they put this course together, they didn't blast those rocks from off the uh, the golf course. That's for sure. And. So you have all that natural rocky terrain, as well as the rolling, very narrow fairways. And then, as you mentioned, the rough is rough, very gnarly. There is elevation change and, um, you know, some really, really interesting holes. So I think we're going to see a lot of compelling golf this week. We are. We'll get into that in just a minute. But the the beginning of... uh, American golf and the popularity of American golf, 1913 U.S. Open, that was held at the Country Club. Quite a story about how he started caddying there when he was 11 and grew up, you know, with a fairly poor family and as an amateur got to play at his home course in the U.S. Open and won it at just 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, just such a great piece of history. Francis, we met we passed his house every day, coming and going into right. uh, the country club. And there, you know, some of the members are restoring the house. It's almost finished in, in the restoration process. And I saw a film where they, they actually found uh, a putter and another club in the attic, like somehow stashed 
in, in one of the rafters, which is, you know, quite interesting. But, yeah, Francis Wimet, he caddied at the club, lived across the street, played as an amateur in that U.S. Open in 1913, beat Harry Varden and Ted Ray in an 18-hole playoff to win the U.S. Open. And, and at the time, Varden was a five-time Open champion, and Ray had, had won the Open Championship at Muirfield the year before. So talk about an upset victory. And, uh, you know, his victory really contributed to the popularity of the game, Holly, as you know. And, and I had just read where in the 10 years after we met one, the United States was, went from having 340,000 golfers to 2.1 million. Wow. So he certainly captured the hearts and the imagination of uh, the United States and Americans just uh, looking to take up the sport, and they related to you know, his story. He didn't have money. He, he was a caddy, and, and what an inspirational victory. So it, it just plays such an important role in uh, golf's history. After 72 holes of regulation, it ended in a three-way tie. They played in an 18-hole playoff the next day, and the conditions were dreadful, and It was rainy and cold, and he beat... Varden by five, I think it was, and Ted Ray by six, and and they were the top players at the time. Yeah, kind of like the conditions I played in a couple months ago, <laughs> but it wasn't quite as heroic for me. But um, you know, when you're when you're playing the course here, there's a sign um, on one of the tee boxes, you know, that uh, his house is right across the street, so we kind of saw it from the course a couple months ago, and then um, it's just such a thrill when you leave this this layout. You just see the house, and and uh, it'd be kind of fun to go inside it and see how they've restored it and furnished it, and I'm so glad that, um, you know, the members are doing that. And then the USGA Museum in New Jersey has uh, a number of the clubs that were used in that 1913 U.S. Open, and, and you know they brought some of those clubs here into the media room. I don't know if you saw them when you were here, but I did. Um, you know, I just love sports history and particularly golf history, and and certainly um, you know we met is such a huge part of it. It's amazing how they played with those clubs. <laughs> and given the technology today, can you imagine whacking out of the rough with uh, one of those hickory sticks? I know. I keep every time I see one of those clubs, I'm thinking, how in the world did anybody hit a ball with, with you know these clubs? I can't imagine. It just makes you have more appreciation for you know for these players before all the technology grabbed hold of the game and, and, and you know as far as the club manufacturers go and, and the ball. It, it's just incredible what they played with. Well, that's a great segue into a little update on the United States Golf Association, the USGA, which runs the U.S. Open, but also many of our uh, amateur tournaments, as well as controls the rules of the game. And, and there is a lot of conversation and has been over, you know, the last few years about uh, curbing back the distance of not only the golf ball, but uh, golf clubs. What, what was the update in the USGA press conference? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think Mike Wan more, you know, just kind of said they're, they're studying that and uh, the studies will be ongoing. But I was more taken by what they're doing with the, you know, with the water and the environment. He said that there's a plan to reduce the amount of water used on golf courses by 45%. Wow. So I don't know if you heard that, and, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to have Mike Wan on my 
Talking Golf show on Sunday. So I'm going to ask him, you know, how they plan on doing that. So that's one of his initiatives. And then the other initiative that I was uh, intrigued by is that he said they're going to be starting a USGA development program where um, they're going to focus on young people between 12 and 17 and try to give them access to the game, people who aren't, you know, born um, with money and who perhaps don't go through the ranks, come through the ranks via country clubs. He said that uh, they're going to develop this development program for young people, and uh, uh, so many other countries have it where the government sponsors these kind of programs. And he said, as the governing body of golf in our country, the USGA, that should be top priority. And I agree with him. I just think, you know, we obviously have first team. and They've done great work through the years. But I just think the USGA should really prioritize making golf accessible to everybody, no matter what your background is and no matter, you know, where you come from. I just think that's such an important, important initiative. So it was interesting that, you know, he had announced that they're going to really look at that in a big way and, and actually start it. Sure. I think the the Olympics, golf being back in the Olympics, really put this on their radar, don't you think, Anne? Because uh, that's where you really get to see where so many country programs help develop the future golfers, and we don't have anything like that. Right, and he had mentioned that. He had said that so many different countries have those development programs, and then you come to the United States, and, and there's really nothing. Uh, for the golfers. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they can kind of develop that. I know, you know, the LPGA has a program that he was quite involved with when he was the commissioner, when Mike Wan was the commissioner of the LPGA. And uh, there are a lot of development programs out there, but I just think the governing body of golf in our country should be really taking the initiative of you know, on this, and, and that's exactly what they're going to be doing. With with Mike Wan at the helm, we saw what he did with the LPGA in his tenure. Uh, I think the USGA and our uh, our organizing body that, that really, you know, steers the future for the rest of us in the sport, we amateurs, it's in very good hands. It's in very good hands. And, you know, he also handled the tough questions very well. You know, obviously he was going to get questions about Live Golf and the USGA's policy of allowing the players who played in the, in the Saudi-funded Live Golf uh, exhibition last week to, to come in and play. And so, of course, he was asked about that. And, and if, if going forward, that will be the position of the USGA. And he basically said, go look at it going forward. And, and it will change as it has changed Live Golf changed a couple months ago and just, you know, came together. You heard so much about it, and who knew it was, you know, going to actually pan out, and they had their first event last week. So they are going to uh, – he did say moving forward that they'd look at it again. Now, what that means is anybody's guess, but uh, whether you think they should have allowed these live golf players to play this week or not, um, they were pretty – he was pretty – adamant on keeping the criteria that's published, you know, that is the criteria for anybody playing in this U.S. Open. And so that's what they based it on this time around. But it was only like a week or two ago where it sounded like they made that decision, right? So we'll have to see what their decision will be moving forward and, and how Live Golf will, uh, you know, continue to affect the PGA Tour and, and golf in general. 
Well, you have uh, always covered the majors. Uh, what what's your thought on where this goes moving forward? Because we know we want these. We know the players on uh, the LIV golf who are participating. Many of them are past champions of majors, um, especially the Masters. You look at, you know, Charles Schwartzel and, and uh, Phil Mickelson, and, you know, what, what do you think uh, Augusta's going to do? That's such a good question. You know, they're all somehow intertwined with the PGA Tour, yet they're completely independent of the PGA Tour. Uh, so I... It's, it's hard to tell, but I think Augusta National may do what the USGA and what it looks like the Open Championship of the RNA will be doing and, and let these guys play. And, you know, Phil Mickelson made reference to that, Holly, that he wants to play the live golf, he plans to play the live golf, and he plans to play the majors. And he said he had talked to uh, different people with uh, these governing bodies, and, and, and but he didn't, then he kind of just caught himself and didn't, you know, continue to discuss what was discussed. He said those were private conversations. So it's just my thought that he had conversations with some of these people who are heads of the governing bodies to see if indeed he, he and anybody from Live Golf would be allowed to play. And I don't know if he would have taken the leap if he didn't think he'd have the opportunity to play the major championships in the future. So well, um, I, I think they're going to let them play. Yeah, I remember clearly at uh, the Masters this year when Fred Ridley said that, you know, Phil was absolutely invited and welcome to, you know, to play. You know, it's an interesting question. You know, what would the champions' dinner be like with some of those champions barred from coming back to play uh, Augusta National. It, it, uh, you know, it's very complicated, isn't it? It's very complicated and very controversial uh, with people, you know, kind of seeing both sides, right? But I have to say, uh, Phil Mickelson here at the Open has gotten a lot of support from the fans and spectators. He spent a lot of time signing autographs, and uh, he's about to tee off uh, this afternoon. But um, I have to say, it's uh, you hate to see, uh, he really was kind of a shell of himself on Monday at the press conference. Um, I asked him questions about, you know, what does legacy mean to you? And, and his response and Rory McIlroy's response are were, were two complete, completely different responses. I mean, Phil was, uh, he, it seemed like he was very guarded, like he, he's not, you know, he he's, doesn't want to get himself into more trouble, so he's trying to be very careful on, on what he says. But um, he basically said, look, he's put in his time with the PJ Tour, he's given back, but, uh, you know, this live golf represents such a great opportunity for him that, uh, he, you know, he thinks it's, it's great for the game of golf going forward. When I asked Roy McIlroy, He's been such a strong spokesman for the PJ Tour, as you know. When I asked him what his legacy means to him, he said it means a lot. Going back to history and tradition and putting your name on trophies that have the legends of the game on them, that's really cool, and that's something that money can't buy. Legacy, reputation, at the end of the day, that's all you have. And to me, this whole concept about live golf is just about that. It's really, there's so many different issues, and it's very complex, but it's really greed versus morality and character and and are you going to play for a, a 
a, a league that is funded by Saudi money. You know, what, most of the terrorists in 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. And Kasagi, the Washington Post journalist, was murdered by the Saudi government. And so it's, you can't ignore that when you talk about these huge stars from the PJ Tour going over there and uh, playing for that kind of money. And, it's, you know, it, it makes you wonder, look, Phil Mickelson's gambling problems are well documented. They were written up in the unauthorized biography that Alan Shipnuck wrote about him. And through the years, we've known about it. And Phil Mickelson has admitted that he, and has said several times recently, that he's been in therapy for gambling for years. So you're, it just makes you wonder if he is, you know, bankrupt after all these years where he has to jump over there and take the money. He claims it's really more for providing more family time because there are only eight events as compared to all the tournaments on the PJ Tour, but you don't have to play all the I tournaments on the PJ Tour anyway. I don't buy that one, and not for a minute. Well, that's the thing. I mean, his answers to all these questions were just... You know, spineless, basically. So uh, we'll have to see how this whole live golf pans out and and uh, how he does. It'll be interesting to see if Phil Nicholson makes the cut, you know. I mean, six times a runner-up here at the U.S. Open. Could you imagine if he only made the cut but finished strong? Wow, that would be a nightmare for the PGA Tour. So now, you know, there's a three-way tie for lead. Three guys shot 367. So you have Callum Terran from England. He shot a 367. He eagled the par 5-8 and started on the back. He actually started with a bogey, but was able to turn it around and shoot a 3-under. The Swede, David uh, Lingmurth, he also shot a 67. And then, of course, Rory McIlroy. He was at four under, and then he bogeys his last hole, the ninth. He missed the green on the right, and, and uh, his ball landed in heavy rough, and he ended up, uh, he was bogey-free until his 18th hole, always. So um, he um, actually, on the short part for the fifth hole, he had a great par save. He drained a, a great putt there um, for the par save after stumbling in the bunker. So that was huge his par save on the uh, fifth hole there. And, and uh, he birdied 16, 18, as I say, he started on the back, birdied 7 and 8, and then ended with that bogey, which was unfortunate. But that left him at 300. And it's getting windier out there, so I have a feeling that it's going to be tougher conditions for these guys in the afternoon than it was in the morning. Yeah, I heard that the wind gusts could be up to 20 miles per hour. So, yeah, Roy seems to really be in the zone right now. said that he's so confident in both of his mental uh, patience for majors and is, you know, I think I think he's coming back to the Roy when we saw him in that, that stretch uh, back 10 years ago. So it's going to be exciting to see see how things go. So if you were a betting woman, Anne Ligori, who are you who are you rolling the dice on to raise the trophy on Sunday? Well, you know, it's interesting. A couple of days ago uh, when I was trying to pick a winner, I, I picked Jordan Speed and, and then I heard he has a stomach bug. Whoops. <laughs> and, uh, but this happened just, I guess, yesterday. So when I was watching for him this morning. He was at plus one. I, I have, I'll have to look and see how he, he should be maybe finished by now. But, uh, boy, I'd love to see Rory went back-to-back. That win at the Canadian Open last weekend just was uh, thrilling and really good for the game of golf. JT played great. 
Um, Tony Finau played great. So, you know, when you're talking about the PJ Tour, you got all the best players in the world uh, competing on that tour. And it was great for the PJ to have these guys. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, such a competitive ending to uh, that uh, tournament. And Rory obviously bringing in confidence from that win as well. But Rory hasn't won a major in a long time. So wouldn't it be great if Rory McIlroy could continue to play well and win this championship? Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been since 2014. And uh, that's, that's just a little mind-boggling to me. But it shows you how deep, you know, the PGA Tour is and... You know, there's something about golf where we have these Cinderella and and almost, you know, magical stories. And right now, if you want to talk about the good of the game, and we're going to get to see it over the next four days. Absolutely. With all these great amateurs who are playing in this tournament. Um, you know, I played last week on the Corn Ferry Tour, the, the BMW Charity Pro-Am, and the, you know, the only upside I can see with all this controversy in golf right now with some of these guys that are being banned by the PGA Tour is it creates more opportunity for some of these guys from the minor leagues, so to speak, to, um, you know, rise to the PGA Tour and play. There's so much talent out there. Any of these guys can win at any given moment, and that's what's so exciting about this open championship here. You could see an amateur. There was an amateur leading earlier in the day. So... It's open to all players who qualify, and, and that's what we love about the U.S. Opens. We certainly do. And uh, and for my listeners, if they want to tune in to your show on Sunday, how do they do that? So it's called Talking Golf on WFAN from 7 to 8 Eastern, and they can tune in on the Odyssey app, excuse me, Odyssey app, or they can go to WFAN.com here at Live. Or they can go to WFN.com or the, the Odyssey app and hear it at any time. Every show is archived on those sites, and they can go back and listen to the show from 7 to 8 on Sundays if they can't get up quite that early. And then I also take a segment from my shows and distribute it every week on the Sports Illustrated Morning Read media platform. So you can always hear some of the interviews on, on that platform as well. Awesome. Well, it's always special to spend time with you, one of our pioneers in terms of women and media and a legacy in your own right, Ms. Anne Liguori, one of my favorite golf insiders. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today.